back from the empire of lies. A bastion of truth, open debate, and free speech in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration under the New World Order. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. So, Thursday, hey Rod, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Lee. How about yourself? Doing very well. We've got a great show today. The guests, as you know, you booked them. In the first hour, we have Sonia Vanden and the great journalist. She's Dutch, but where's she now? Over in Russia? She's in Russia, yeah. Yeah, we've spoken to her many times from Russia and from the Donetsk region of Russia now. I like saying that. It's I used to say from Ukraine, but no more, right? Exactly, yeah. Even if she's in Donbass, she's in Russia, right? That's correct. Because Europe and America may not recognize the referendum, but we sure as hell do. Isn't that right, Rod? Yeah, hundred percently. We uh, we respect their elections. Uh, I might, me and I might not respect the elections here in America, but I respect the elections over there because they're uh, auditable. They can audit them. Well, I call him President Biden every day, basically. That's as much as you're going to get from me. Then in the second hour, joining us, American California politician Allison Hayden will be talking to us about what's going on. Did you see what the gas prices are in California? Right now, Rod. Yes. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. She said uh, she saw a picture, or someone purchased it for seven fifteen or something like that. Yes, six, six and seven bucks. And we'll talk about that with Allison later. And we're taking your calls 202-521-1320. Coming up on the backstory. So the breaking headline: You saw this about Hunter Biden. And federal investigators say that they there may be sufficient evidence to charge Hunter Biden with crimes. Are you shocked by that, Rod? Oh, my God, Lee. I can't believe this. I know. And they're saying they're leaving it to Delaware prosecutors. And everyone's got the same headline. Federal investigators may have found what? I have found I'm not even looking for evidence of a crime, and I've seen plenty with Hunter. Am I am I the only one, Rod? Uh, there's text messages of that his whole family knows of some at least some of his crimes of uh, walking in front of his uh, niece uh, inappropriately uh, when he's been ordered not to be near her. So that's that's just one crime right there. Also, I don't know the laws on crack horse, but I assume crack horse are illegal. Am I wrong? Uh, the term is sex worker now, Lee, so you can't, you know, if you're, uh, that's a hate crime now, and you call them my crack whore. Sure. Okay, use that terminology if you want to. I'm going to use the more colloquial crack whore, because, by the way, if you're a crack whore, what you're called is not your biggest problem. Does it make sense, Rod? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, for sure. It may be the crack or the whore part, but anyway, I've seen evidence of crime, but I'm not sure anyone in Delaware is going to prosecute Hunter Biden. I think that's a bigger issue. Don't you, Rod? 
from what I've known since, you know, living right there in Philadelphia near Delaware, I heard Delaware's run like the mafia and the Biden family's a part of it. So I don't see that either. Now, the other is sort of a headline. It broke today. But Biden is now looking at making a move on weed, not buying some for a hunter, no. But he's looking at possibly, uh, in fact, he's already ordered, the, I think, the pardoning of 6,500 people who've been convicted under federal marijuana laws. Did you see that, Rod? Yeah, I did see that. And I also saw earlier today that, uh, you know, a guest we've had on here, uh, Adam Eidinger, was actually going to protest in D.C. about that, that he had promised that. And uh, so, you know, just coincides with that. And so the other thing he's doing is he's ordering them to look into the classification of marijuana, which is that thing we've talked about before. And I think he's going to make a move on this because he's promised it and it's obvious. But if he thinks anyone's going to get high enough to vote for Joe Biden, I think we may need stronger marijuana. (laughs) Does that make sense, Rod? No, no, no. That's exactly what I was thinking, Lee. I think this is, um, as, as gas prices are starting to go back up, as we see, I, I had a clip, but we'll have it for tomorrow. Um, and the administration has no answer for it. So now he, what's he going to do? He's going to uh, throw bread at the circus and say, well, here, look, I'll uh, release some prisoners that have been uh, unlawfully, you know, or whatever, uh, um, for simple weed possession. And, uh, and I'll look into this classification thing, which means nothing, really, because I don't think he's going to do anything on it. Now, how far are we from, Rod? I don't know the science on this, but it seems to me someone's going to come up with weed and all, marijuana-based gasoline. That will solve a lot of energy problems. For instance, you can fill up your tank with it, and your car just wanders off. But what do you think of that? We have corn-based alcohol, ethanol, right? And that's a great idea. But can weed-based alcohol, weed-based gasoline, be far behind, Rod? Um, I think that's been tried, Lee. You know, I think uh, a couple scientists have been high enough to try it, and it just it doesn't work. The car just doesn't want to start. It says maybe later, things like that. Well, yeah, it, it's it'll get around to it eventually. But you know, ethanol is weird too. You know, when you say works, ethanol's not. Exactly, gasoline. You probably noticed that. Oh yeah, so this, yeah. And it, it, the more of it that it's in your gas, the faster your uh, engine's going to uh, need repairs or it's going to die. But what's the Democrats thinking on this? Maybe if Biden legalizes weed more, some people will go, "Okay, oh, vote for him." You know, what's the idea there? Who's going to do that? No one. No one is voting for you, Joe Biden, not even Hunter, because he may face legal trouble or possibly violating one or two laws. They're going to, like Al Capone, they're, you saw what they're going to get him for, tax evasion, right? Yeah, that's probably, that's probably what he's going to go down for. They're not going to, they're not, they're going to stay away from all the serious stuff he's done. Yes, because when you don't pay taxes on your crack whore, that causes problems. But uh, those are what I'm saying is the two big headlines in the news today. 
Although I gotta say, we'll be talking to Sony about it. The admission by the New York Times yesterday that the government of Ukraine was behind the assassination of a 29-year-old woman, Daria Dugina, the daughter of Russian intellectual Alexander Dugin. The news that the U.S. believes Ukraine was behind that assassination. I didn't see any traction on it yesterday at all. Did you? Uh, yesterday, no. Today, I did see CNN on their website was talking about it. So that's that's the least I've seen, Lee. That's the most I've seen. Yeah, but, but it should be a game changer. It should be one of those things for a lot of people, they want to go, wait, we're backing what? The government we've given billions to assassinated a 29-year-old woman? What? And they're sort of making a story now. They're saying, well, we didn't mean to kill her. We meant to kill her father. That's not much better, in my opinion. They're non-combatants. And you don't like them because they have a different opinion than you do. That's not a reason to assassinate someone. And But if you're going to go off on, on this assassination, and you should, you need to point out all the other assassinations that Ukraine was behind. D- does that make sense, Rod? In other words, bring up Jari Dugina. Absolutely. But there's a lot more assassinations where that came from. Yeah, exactly. This isn't the this isn't the first time, and you know, it wouldn't be the first time to go after an innocent woman either. You know, that that wouldn't be your first uh, intended target. So yeah, and, and yeah, go ahead. And their kill list has not only the basis for Pink Floyd, but a 13-year-old girl on it. So when you've got a 13-year-old on an assassination list, and when Dugina was killed on the assassination list, they put liquefied over her name. These people are disgusting. And just as disgusting is the media that's covering for them. CNN... I'm glad you did a story one day, but you, where are you punks every other day? Ukraine's killing people or threatening to. But we got Sonia on, so let's take a short break, Rod. When we come back, we'll be talking to Sonia Van Den End from Russia about these latest revelations here on The Backstory. in Washington, D.C., the capital of the Empire of Lies, 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joined now from Russia by Dutch journalist Sonia van den End. Sonia, how are you doing? It's uh, nice to be on your show again, Lee. Thanks. Good. We're, we're very happy to have you, Sonia. So you saw the news yesterday the New York Times reported that the U.S. believes that Ukraine is behind the assassination of Daria Dugina. You saw that, right? 
Yeah, sure, I saw it. But actually, I uh, had to laugh because, you know, it's commonly known that uh, the CIA is in Ukraine and the Zelensky regime is taking orders from CIA or the US. So, yeah, of course, they can say Ukraine is behind this. Yes, they carried it out. But yeah, the real perpetrator behind it, I think it's uh, the US, of course, in collaboration with the UK, I must say, because they also play a very decisive role there. So I was going to ask you, actually, why do you think the New York Times reported that? That's a big admission for the Times to make. The Times is a very pro-Ukrainian paper. And for them to admit that, it's now established, it's now inarguable that Ukraine was behind that. Why do you think that came out in the New York Times? Do you think it was to get the U.S. off the hook? Yeah, sure. They don't want to uh, let it uh, be known that they are actually, you know, the leaders of the leaders of the uh, of the Ukrainian uh, government because Zelensky is just a puppet, and they want to get off the hook because, you know, when they straight away, uh, when it's known that the U.S. is actually the one who gave the order, then, yeah, I mean, we're already maybe on the brink of a World War Three, so that will ignite everything. So they want to settle things down, I think, to, yeah, to get let it a bit easy and say, okay, Ukraine has done it. That's what I think, why they did it, and why also, they put it in the New York Times. While, and while the New York Times is acknowledging that assassination. They're not really talking about the assassination list that includes Roger Waters from Pink Floyd and a 13-year-old girl. And I believe you, Sonia, correct? You're on the kill list, correct? Yes, I'm on the kill list as well. And of course, what you said, Pania, the 13-year-old girl and Roger Waters and many more journalists who have ever been to the Donbass are there. But it's in the West, it's not, you know, they don't speak about it. They I think they don't care about it. Or maybe they say, oh, it's collateral damage. You know, they're on the list. That's their own fault because they are the ones who went to Ukraine. But actually, it's shameful, of course, to put a girl on the list. This is, okay, we are journalists, we are grown-ups, but to put a girl on the list, that's crazy. It's it's, it's criminal. It's criminal. It's no other words for that. And, Sonia, has the Dutch government done anything? Has there been any outrage that you're on the list? Because I'm outraged, but by the government. No, nothing. And even in my own country, you know, there's nothing. Nobody speaks about it. Maybe one in the opposition party. Uh, yeah, okay. He's, he said, okay, it's horrible. But the rest, it's nothing. You know, newspapers, nothing. I get many calls from newspapers in the Netherlands. And then I tell them, you know, I, I want to speak to you. But you must, you know, mention that I'm on this Ukrainian kill list. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't want to speak about that. I want to speak out your personal motive, why you went there, about your personal life. And then I said, okay, thank you. But this, they don't speak about it. It's an outrage. It's really, it's unbelievable. It, it is unbelievable. And as I say, so no one's spoken up about this outrage, journalists on a kill list? No, nobody in the West is speaking about it, not in the European Union, not in uh, EU governments, uh, you know, because there's one from Finland, I'm from the Netherlands, there's one from France, so we're all EU countries. But nobody, nobody says, oh, yeah, you have to do something about it. I think they spoke about it in, yeah, a few months ago, I wrote it down somewhere. 
but they spoke about it in the European Parliament, but okay, that maybe they should do some measures, they should stop this list, they should close it down, but then it started with the special operation, and then, yeah, it was off the table. So they use it, actually. Now the U.S. is admitting that Ukraine is behind Dugina's assassination, should journalists be taking this kill list even more seriously? Because I think the fact that Dugina was on it and then she was eliminated from the list after she was killed means I think they people need to take this very seriously. What do you think, Sonia? Yes, I think so, because uh, I did already take it seriously. I mean... I always presume and I hope that we are still who the ones who are on the kill list are now the majority here in uh, Russia so that we are pretty safe. But I think we should take it very seriously, yes, because, you know, you never know. I mean, uh, okay, it will not happen so quickly anymore, I think. I mean, maybe they are somehow on an alert. But we should take it very seriously. And uh, for instance, uh, we, I was on this referendum and there were journalists from Germany and so on. They went back and, of course, they will be on the kill list as well. So then it's an extra danger when you go back to Europe, I think, because, you know, Europe is collaborating with Ukraine. We know that. So, But we should be more careful. Yeah, it's, yeah, should look around you, I would say. But we are okay. That's all we can do, actually. And the silence on this is very disturbing for me. Because not just you, but my colleague Wyatt Reed from Radio Sputnik is on that kill list. And it's so I know so many people on that list. That's outrageous. And Igor Lopotnik, the director's doing some work on that. But we'll be talking about it here. But urge every journalist you know, why aren't you talking about the Ukrainian kill list? I want to see Tucker Carlson talk about it more, too. So, Sonia... Where were you during the referendums? Uh, I was in uh, Luhansk, in Luhansk city, and uh, I went to many polling stations uh, for around 10. Also, I was in the Moscow area, uh, Rostov area, because you know there are a lot of refugees from uh, the Donbass, around 4.4 million, I think, were the latest figures. So I was in Luhansk all day, and yeah, I saw the people voting, and it went quite good. I think I thought it was a very democratic way how they voted. It was not like, of course, in uh, in other countries because it's you must understand there was a, a war eight years long. But besides that, it was done very good in a very good way, and the people were not threatened, not abused, not, no soldiers. There were soldiers there. This is what I'm saying all over again. The soldiers were there to protect us and. Yeah, to protect actually, of course, uh, the civilians as well, because still Ukraine is, uh, you know, t- uh, shelling some areas, not in Luhansk, but it was done very good. And uh, what, what what did you see about reporters? Were other reporters there? Any news outlets, Reuters or CNN or so on? Any reporters at all? No. <laughs> No, nothing from the West, you know, straight away they said on before already that it was a fake referendum, a sham and so on. So no, we only, yeah, alternative media, but from the other countries, I would say the friendly countries like Brazil, Venezuela, there were some uh, uh, news outlets. I think Taylor Stewart was there 
from Iran, maybe Prestifier, they didn't see with me, but uh, some Egyptian was there, but no uh, US or European outlets like what you said, Reuters or CNN, nobody, of course, no, nobody was there. Yes, of course, no one was there, because if it was a sham, you'd think they'd bring their cameras and expose it, right? No, apparently sure. not. Sonia, what did you learn from people who spoke to you? Did they tell you any stories about how they felt about the referendums or what, what led up to them in their minds? Any stories from people in the region? Yeah, I spoke to uh, a lot of people. I always had a translator there, so that was no problem. And the majority I spoke to, they're all very happy because they uh, hope that finally the bloodshed will be gone, you know, that there will be somehow some sort of peace. And some people told me, yes, they were waiting already there on this point for, for since 2014. And finally it's happening and such a long time after eight years of this bloody war. And I even spoke to an old lady. She was very sweet. And she told me her uh, husband was dead. Her son was killed in the war. And that, you know, that she was waiting for this. And she was crying there. And it was really emotional, I must say, with all these people, especially the elderly people, because a lot of these people lost their yeah, whole life, their, their children, everything. So, yes, they were happy, very happy. And did you get any sense on what the refugees were planning to do? Was some of them planning to go back or were they planning to stay put? Well, it was mixed somehow because, you know, some of the refugees were already in uh, Moscow, Rostov, maybe, yeah, five, six years. So uh, they established their life there. They, they have a job and so on. But uh, some of them, are, that, that's mainly the elderly again, they uh, would like to go back because, yeah, it's their homeland. It's where they're born in the village. And, so, yeah, it was a mixed uh, situation, but they were all very happy that they were uh, able to become Russian. This was the main point for them. They are finally, yeah, again, they will they belong to Russia. This is uh, very happy. They were very happy about it. And were you out at the big musical event and that Putin spoke at to the big flag-waving event? I think it was in Red Square, correct? Mm -hmm. It was in the Red Square, correct. No, I wasn't there. Uh, I would like to go there, but uh, we, I just returned, you know, because after we came back from the referendum, I had to do a lot of interviews here in uh, Moscow. So that day I came back actually finally to my apartment. So, yeah, I, I couldn't make it, unfortunately, but I have, would have loved to be there on the Red Square, for sure. So what are you hearing from people in, in Moscow about the way Moscovites feel about the referendums? Well, again, the majority thinks, uh, you know, that it's a good thing that the referendums are there and they don't consider them as a, a sham because they know, uh, they, they feel that the, the people of uh, the Donbass, they are their brothers, their sisters, because they're, they're Russian, you know, and yeah, the Russians are a bit like Eastern people. They feel a lot for their people, for their country. And so the majority, I think, I think, of course, I cannot speak for everybody here. It's a very big city, but uh, the people I know, they they say, yeah, it's a good thing, you know, that uh, we have to uh, do this because we have to stop the suffering that is already going on for eight years. That's the general uh, thing what they speak about: the suffering and to end this war finally. And you get a sense from people 
what their take is on the military action at this point in Moscow. Do you get any sense of the public's opinion just from being in Moscow, Sonia? Well, I must say it's a little bit, um, uh, uh, yeah, what, what can I say? We actually, I think a lot of people is waiting, are waiting for the continuation of what is now going to happen because now the four areas are, of course, uh, will be part of Russia. So what is the next step? Of course, nobody knows, only the Kremlin knows, only the generals know. Is this a continuation of the special operation or will it be an anti-terror operation? Because actually it's when the West is, of course, launching uh, an attack on uh, these areas, it's uh, Russian territory. So people, me, myself too, we are actually waiting now to see how it will continue, that it's the whole can feel this atmosphere hanging here in Moscow from, well, what is going to happen now? What Do we have the normal continuation or something else will come? Because even though Kherson, for instance, is part of Russia, the Ukrainians are pushing with an offensive in Kherson. Have you heard about that, Sonia? Yeah, sure. That's everywhere in the news. You can hear it. And, you know, sometimes you don't know because there's a lot of propaganda from Western side. Is it really true? Because today I was listening to uh, the special, the update on the special operation. And they said there's a lot of small areas. They pushed Ukrainians back. So it's, uh, of course, uh, I don't think Russia will uh, will be letting Kherson uh, to be in the hands of the Ukrainians. I think that's not to be done. But I, I think that, yeah, that's what I said. We all waiting. What is going to happen? So I, I think personally that there's will be something going on, and because now everything is signed, so now they can maybe plan, or of course they have planned already to make the next move. And for sure, Kherson will not fall in the hands of Ukraine. I cannot imagine this. No, right. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think also it's now Russia. So therefore. Ukraine even doing an offensive in Kherson is like them doing an offensive in St. Petersburg or Moscow to some extent. It's in Russia. So you're right. A lot of people, me too, are waiting to see how Russia is going to react. But do you have any sense? People want to see Russia react decisively and clearly, right? Yeah, yeah. But I said we are waiting for this, and of course now uh, the partly uh, mobilization of people uh, had have begun. So uh, I think about two hundred thousand are already uh, drawn up. But uh, yeah, it takes time. Of course, I mean uh, they have to be trained. You know, you cannot send people to a war just like that. So I think it takes all time, and before uh, maybe a big offensive will take place. I don't know, of course, I cannot tell because uh, I, I don't know about that, but this is actually, I think we are waiting for that something will be happening because I, I cannot imagine that the Russian government will allow what you said, that you, the Ukrainians will attack Russia, like St. Petersburg or Moscow or even the villages alongside the Ukrainian border. So there must be coming something because otherwise it would be all for nothing. And I cannot imagine that the Russian government uh, thinks like that, you know, that's uh, no, no, it's impossible. So I think something big will, will happen, will be happening. 
I hope soon, but well, also, yeah, we can also uh, can, you, can you imagine there won't be a retaliation from the assassination of Dario Jugina? Because I can't. Now that the New York Times is admitting Ukraine was behind it, I think Russia almost has to act. What do you think, Sonia? Most likely, yes, I think they will retaliate. I don't know, of course, in what way they will do it, but they have to, you know, they they let the perpetrators uh, left. They went to, I think, Latvia of Lithuania. So they cannot catch them, but they're the small fish, you know, they are just the people who uh, did it. But I think they will retaliate in an, uh, yeah, I hope in a, in a good way and decisive way so that, you know, the, the government must know, the government, the puppet regime of Zelensky must know that this was once, but not will not happen twice. Yeah, I think it's all in the pipeline somehow. And yeah, we will see how it will be. We will uh, find out soon, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's sort of a waiting period. The calm before the storm, I think. Do you think that's mm -hmm. probably accurate? The calm before we're at the calm before the storm, Sonia? I think that's uh, I think that's like that. You know, I'm not a military specialist, of course, but you know, in all the wars Russia has fought in the past, it was always the winter what was uh, the big enemy of uh, of the you know like uh, Hitler regime, uh, uh, Napoleon. The the winter it's always a bad thing. Of course, we are now in 2022, so armies will have more gear for winter, and they know they have learned about it. So. We must not focus on that totally, but still, I think maybe the winter will be bad for them as well. And, you know, the European Union is deteriorating soon because the gas problem is going to be very huge. And also the industries like in Germany, it's uh, I think 70 percent are on the brink of bankruptcy. Well, that's a lot. So they have to do something as well. So I think we will see something in uh, autumn beginning of winter maybe i hope autumn because beginning of winter is a long time away you know that's <laughs> two months three months and it can happen a lot no that's that's right sonia so uh when are you going back to donbass do you have any plans i i have no plans at the moment it's all uncertain as you know because it, yeah the special operation is uh going on but uh uh, we don't know, you know, uh, where we can go, how you can go. It's uh, I, I have to wait a little and to see, figure out how it's uh, how it's uh, going to develop. Now, Sonia, what is the economy like that you can see in Moscow? Well, what I can uh, see, it's still okay. It's still uh, the shops are still filled with everything. Uh, the people are going to the shops. Sometimes I go to the shopping malls here, and you know, I have to do my shopping as well. And, I make a tour around, around the city and visit different things. And people are still, what I can see, okay. It's not, nothing has changed since I came here. The only thing that changed, and that is what you know, is what everybody knows, is that the Western uh, shops or companies are closed. Some of them, not all of them. So that's, but that's, that's now a normal thing for people, I think. It's already seven months like that, six months. So. But what I can see, I can still see, yeah, cars driving around, shops are open. I think people still have work. It's always very busy here in the metro. So, yeah, I don't think a lot of things have changed for the people. 
And so life seems to be going on as usual in Moscow. Yeah, yeah, there's no change, no change at all. It's, uh, yeah, maybe I can, I'm not also not an economic expert on Russia, but uh, yeah, it's what I can see. It's it's okay. But now, of course, some things will be changing when, I mean, 200,000 men, maybe also some women, but mainly men, I think, are mobilized. I think it's only men, but it's what uh, Shogu said. So 200,000 men are mobilized and maybe 100,000 more. Yeah, then a lot of men will go leave their jobs. So maybe the women will fill in again. I don't know. I heard today on Fox News, I was listening to Fox News, and I heard Putin's army is falling apart. Is that what you're seeing? Because the lies are magnificent over here. It's amazing. Just on Fox, they said blatantly, Putin's army is falling apart. But I don't see that at all. What do you see, Sonia? Uh, I think it's what you said, it's propaganda, because they cannot really know, like me, I cannot even know, because, you know, we don't see it, but we know that, I know that uh, it's not falling apart, because otherwise, you know, 200,000 new uh, people, new new recruits, and then you have to uh, give them training, and you have to, you know, implement them in the army, so it's not falling apart, this is not, uh, I think... You know, the whole thing is that I think that the Russian army didn't even use maybe one-tenth or one-quarter one of uh, its material or its soldiers or whatever uh, to in, into this uh, conflict. So maybe when they go on full scale, their new uh, missiles will be there or new tanks and so on. So it's all big lies. You know, the propaganda of the West is... Uh, now also focusing on, on Putin himself, telling him uh, he must go. Now we heard that before, you know, Assad uh, should go. Now Putin should go. John Bolton said this uh, yesterday. So it's so much propaganda that is really awful. It's unbelievable, actually, because I think sometimes they don't even know what to write anymore, you know. No, it's a very mixed message and very confusing. Because Fox, for instance, is pro-Trump, but they're anti-Russian. And some people, like Tucker Carlson, are sort of pro-Russian, but he's anti-Ukrainian, broadly. But even he doesn't... (laughs) Forgive me again. But even Tucker doesn't know know much about Russia. Do you find that most people in the West are simply ignorant of what reality of things is like in Moscow, Sonia? Sure, yes. <laughs> a lot of them are, they don't even know, you know. You know, but the problem is, it's uh, in the media, for instance, in the Netherlands, you have uh, this special uh, media, it's called a window on Russia. And in this media are elderly people in their 60s, 70s, and they write about Russia as if it's still the Soviet Union. So they don't know anything about the modern Russia. They don't know anything. And a lot of people who write about Russia, who are so-called Russian specialists, I doubt if they were here. <laughs> that is the problem with the media in the West. They just write stories without checking, without verifying and you know, journalism is something you have to check because otherwise you can write everything down. But there are fairy tales then and propaganda. But um, most people don't 
know anything about Russia. They see Putin, they say, oh, he's like a dictator or he's like Stalin. And they don't even know how the younger people live here, for instance, how modern the city is or the country maybe. I don't know. I didn't travel the whole of the country. It's too big. But this Moscow or St. Petersburg or it's modern cities with uh, modern buildings. The people, well, if you see young people, they can walk in the West, you know, so they don't know anything. And yeah, people like Tucker Carlson, I think they're trying to uh, be neutral or try to be in favor of Russia. But I think they are afraid to speak out because when you speak out in Western media that you are uh, for Russia, then uh, Naya, you are not done, you know, you, you're out. And I think Tucker, you mentioned him, we're talking about him. <clears throat> I think him going to Russia would be an amazing thing. It would really change his view because he told me when I went to Beirut, Lebanon in 2013, he told me that Beirut was one of his favorite cities to visit. Uh, uh, and isn't that interesting, Sonia, that Tucker Carlson really liked Beirut as a city to visit. He liked the cafe society, you know, you know, sitting out in the cafes and the hookahs and the, and the hummus and everything. You've been over there, right, Sonia? Yeah, yeah, I was in Beirut many times. I know it all. I know uh, the areas there, you know, Alhambra, you know, the seaside. Alhambra, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the most uh, famous place, <laughs> most expensive place. But sure, I know it all. That's amazing. It's amazing that he likes it, but not in a way, because now he experienced the real yes. people there. You know, the, the Arabic people are very friendly, very kind, open, and the same with the Russian here. So that's when you are there, then you experience the country and the people. That's exactly that's, right. And that's why I appreciate you talking to us about life in Moscow just on a daily basis what people experience and think, because I think it's so important to express to people what normal people are, are like in a country. Do you agree, Sonia? Yes, sure, because you can, as I said, you can speak about a country, you can see it on TV, in a documentary or whatever, but when you are really there and you speak to the people, you know, like me, I'm trying to learn Russian now, and yeah, you can make small conversations already with the people, then you have a very different view it's like with me, with uh, Arabic countries, I speak Arabic, I can go around, speak to the people, you see their daily life. And, you know, that's apart from politics, you see how they go to work, uh, their families, their children, their grandparents, and what they do in the weekend, for instance, the young ones, okay, they go out, just like in Europe, uh, the, the, the elderly ones, they visit each other, you see the culture, like they like uh, barbecuing very much here in Russia. I mean, you think that's a thing from um, the US, but they like that here too. Like I go, you can go to any park here, they are barbecuing, grilling there, the meat. And so that's very nice to see the, the culture, you know? I always like to see culture from the people. Then you can understand the people. Exactly right. Sonia, it's late where you are, so we'll let you go. But great conversation, and thanks so much for putting on with me coughing here. Uh, well, so well, all the best. All the best to you, too, and we'll talk to you soon. Stay safe and have fun in Moscow. Sonia Vandenen, Dutch journalist who's doing great work in Russia.
thanks to her for another great appearance. And we'll take a short break and be back on The Backstory. Backstory 202-521-1320 is the number to call if you want to be part of the show. But Rod, great appearance by Sonia, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Sonia's a uh, she's a brave spirit, and uh, you got you can't uh, question her, her her bravery of going over there and covering this. Uh, you know, and obviously her knowing Daria Dugina, who now the U.S. admits that Ukraine is. Uh, or parts of Ukraine's government is the one responsible for her assassination. You know, all, all of this, you know, she's, she's definitely a great, uh, definitely a great guest to have on and uh, expand this to the audience. And I must say, if the U.S. was surprised and outraged that Ukraine carried out this assassination, <laughs> I'll just point out to them that Ukraine has a kill list. So the U.S., is in denial about this kill list. And I, I really honestly believe how many people need to die before the U.S. takes this kill list seriously? Because yeah, no, I, I, yeah, yeah. yeah I go ahead, go ahead, Rod. No, I definitely agree with you, Lee. You know, we got all these senators and congressmen and the media don't even, you know, bother to ask them, you know, like, hey, you know, uh, you know, what about this kill list we keep hearing about? You know, e- even if they ask it in a, in, a, in, a, in a biased way that, you know, it's not believable or, you know, we don't believe it. But they don't even want to bring it up to, the, to these politicians because they know it, it would corner them. Because if you, if you bring it up to them, whether you bring it up in a biased way or not, then people will look, in, look into it. Did you see the clip? I should have grabbed it. But did you see the clip about Biden bragging? He was kind of hot, hot mic bragging. About no message with the Bidens. Yeah, that was the clip. Um, <laughs> that was the clip I was going to grab. Lee of uh, he was down in Florida, and I guess it's a voter supporter of Biden, and he was saying no one, no one f's with the Bidens, and anybody can uh, figure out what the f's mean. But uh, yeah, he said no one f's with the Bidens, and he was talking. So he's talking about the whole Biden family or the whole Biden clan. And apparently, the Saudis didn't get that memo because yesterday was the day. They after with the Bidens, announcing two million barrels cut per day. That's a big amount, and but the Biden administration is pissed at Saudis, Arabia, and they say that the Saudis are helping the Russians, which they are in a sense, but really the Saudis are looking out for their own self-interest first, and they're not doing a stupid thing that the U.S. wanted to do. The U.S. wanted to hurt the Russian economy by driving down the price that Russia could charge for oil. But to do that, they had to charge, they had to drive down the price that everybody charged for oil. Does that make sense? And Saudis said basically no. Why would they do that? And the Biden administration is pissed at them. But I find it very ironic when he's saying no one else was the, the Bidens when Saudis are doing just that. What do you think, Ron? Yeah, no, I think, you know, 
just typical Joe Biden. He just lives in uh, his own little mind, little mind bubble where he thinks he's this great uh, celebrity president, you know, where everyone loves him. And, you know, I, I, like I said, it was just a short clip. So I guess this guy's a supporter and he kind of agreed with him. It's just a short clip. But uh, but like you said, of, of course, the Saudis, they don't. <laughs> they didn't respect him, and so they, so they just gave him the middle finger. So I guess you know, I guess he's com- he's confused of what uh, what's really going on. And of course, that's the you know hours later is when the headline comes out that Hunter Biden may possibly face prosecution for some crimes. Now, do you think that Hunter Biden will in fact be charged? I actually do. I actually think it's too public, and. The prosecutor in Delaware would have trouble not charging him. But what do you think, Rod? No, 100 percent, Lee. This 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 thing's uh, it's mushrooming. It's mushrooming too big. The cloud's too big. They have to do something. So now it's it's taxes, and uh, he didn't. You know, he illegally purchased a firearm, or he left it somewhere illegally. So you know, that's what they'll use, and they'll. It's it's also like bird feed for the for the media. Like here, eat it up and regurgitate it to to the people. So they'll stop talking about anything like uh, the videos or pictures you see from his phone, like you said, messing with the, with the crack whores and you know weighing crack and uh, you know the the prices that he's paid for some of the prostitutes he's been with ten thousand dollars, eight thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, and so on. Yeah, th- there's enough stuff that they got charged with something because throw a dart, you'll find a crime. It's Hunter Biden for God's sakes. So. But, you know, we don't live in a fair justice system, and there's no way Hunter Biden's going to get treated like anyone in normal world, right? No, for sure. But I think it'll be uh, it'll, I think it'll be good for the public. And because uh, I know the media frenzy of him going to court for whatever, even if it's just like, you know, tax evasion, you know, some people are going to ask him questions. You know, someone's going to blurt out something, you know, especially if it's in Delaware or, or Wilmington. You'll have enough people from Philly and South Jersey and Delaware County and areas like that who despise the Bidens and everything that they stand for. Well, and like the clip we played yesterday, I've been saying for a while Tony Bobolinsky is still out there. We saw that he did a recent interview with Tucker, but he's still out there. And Tony Bobolinsky knows a lot. And he said it. And he said it on record multiple times. And he can cooperate things on that laptop, which point to crimes by Joe Biden. The same tax thing that's going to get Hunter in the end. Remember? Joe Biden did not have to release tax info about some stuff even this year, Rod. Do you remember that story? Oh, yeah, of course, Lee. You know, they want um, any any type of tax information uh, relating to Trump. But uh, if you ask about Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, or any of these people, or even Barack Obama and the Obama Foundation, you know, they, they don't want to hear it. Well, because 10% of the big guy, if you you didn't pay your taxes or even mention that 10%, that's going to get you in trouble. And I think that could be what ends up getting Biden in trouble. A very boring tax crime. But it actually reveals much deeper stuff. So I'm not going to say this is the beginning of the end of the Bidens, but I'm seeing stuff that indicates some trouble for the Bidens. Do you agree, Rod? Yeah, we had a 
the press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, already, you know, say that, yeah, he's going to run in 2024. I think Joe Biden's also confirmed that, but you don't see any support behind him. So he's kind of, you know, the emperor has no clothes. He's like, yeah, I'm running again. And, you know, he's expecting everyone to be behind him, but it's kind of like, you know, just crickets. No, right. Yeah. And it could be worse than crickets. And if the midterms go as badly as I expect they will, I'm still I'm still saying a major Republican victory across the boards. If Republicans take the House and the Senate, Biden will his any support he has will drop off in the Democrat Party. Do you agree with that? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Lena, just to give you some uh some breaking news for today, uh Ben Sass is leaving the Senate at the end of the year. And so how do you think that's gonna affect things? Well, you know, obviously Nebraska's just going to uh, appoint someone to take his position, but it, it just shows, because he's a big never-Trumper, I think it just shows the uh, political wins that the guys like that, uh, and I think Lindsey Graham's going to probably be the, you know, we'll talk him about him after the after the break, but I think, you know, these guys, are they, they see what the people want, and it's not the establishment way. They're not, they're tired of that. So I think they're, I think they're leaving ship. Now, he, is he going to serve out his his no, yeah. no, he's leaving. He's leaving at the end of this year to take a job at the University of Florida. And when's a special election going to be held? Or um, I'm not sure. It's a good question. We have to follow up on that. They they'd have to do it quick. It sounds like. I guess so. I guess you know it's, it's, this is just breaking news today. So yeah. Meanwhile, obviously a lot of big news. Have you seen? Uh, of course you have. What's going on in Florida? And I gotta say. Ron DeSantis seems to be doing a competent job of handling this disaster. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, of course, Lee. What I was seeing today on Twitter, I don't know about the other social media <laughs> sites, uh, they were focusing on a picture where Ron DeSantis is walking away and uh, Biden's. It, it's it's like it's so weird. It's like one of these pictures you can take within a second. And if you take it within the next second, it looks too completely different. It makes it seem like Biden's embarrassing Ron DeSantis in this picture and that's what's gone viral so let's take a break then we'll come back more stuff taking your calls 202-521-1320 i'm lee stranahan this is backstory the show that takes you to the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan. This is a backstory. Once again, thanks to journalist Sonia Van Den End for a great report from Moscow in the first hour. This hour, we're talking to our friend Allison Hayden, a politician from Northern California, and we're taking your calls. 202-521-1320. Rod, what's the name of the show? You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. And we are back, and let's go right to calls. 202-521-1320. Tarif, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Lee. First, I'd like to say free joining science. Um, two comments. 
first comment is this. I was reading something from the uh, Bloomberg article today. Not only the two million barrels of petroleum are going to be taken off the market from the Russians, I mean, from the Western global markets, the Russians and Saudi Arabia are going to do it. But it is speculated that Russia might take off another three million off the market as well. That's, so it's going to bring a t- total of five million barrels a day taken off the market in the coming weeks. My second comment is dealing with the um, how the Saudi Arabia sided with the Russians, right? About redu- reduction of petroleum. For so to understand what Alex McCurse was talking about, now it's rumors and speculation that you probably see a attempted an attempted regime change in Saudi Arabia, a color revolution, but most likely it's not going to happen. Uh, but if that happens and U.S. try to do something, do something in Saudi Arabia, then Saudi Arabia would know that the U.S. is not on its side and Saudi Arabia might join the um, East, even more so, the, S- the SCO in the BRICS. You know, now if Saudi Arabia is destabilized and the radical government take over, it can even be worse. So, yeah, it's not looking good right now for the U.S. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks, Sharif. Great call. And the Saudis already, in my opinion, are kind of radical government. Let's face it. You consider them kind of radical, Rod? You know, yeah. cutting people's heads off and cutting people's hands off and hangings in the public square. Is that sort of radical? Yeah, for sure, Lee. That's, uh, that's from a different time, a couple hundred years ago, where that was, you know, acceptable or more acceptable, but uh, moved past that time, but uh, Saudi Arabia still exists. They, you know, instead stood still as far as uh, that culture. Now, uh, yesterday, we talked a little about, Ingrid called about, the idea I suggested, micro-protests. In other words, small bits of activism you can do yourself that you can use social media and real world stuff. But I'm actually, uh, Ingrid called me after the show and we talked about it a little bit, but I like the idea and I'm gonna be talking about it in the next few weeks. And I want people to think about it. What, you know, cause you know, it's hard to even get three people together. Do you know what I mean, Ron? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying about organizing. Yeah, it's definitely sometimes, especially now, the internet, I think people are a little bit, uh, it's just, it's just my take, a little bit lazier. So they think doing something from the internet as far as activism is uh, accounts for a real activism. And part of why I think people should do it is because, believe it or not, I think a lot of people would be hesitant to hold up a sign that said, impeach Biden in front of strangers. Does that make sense? Rob, would you be, I think you'd be down for that. But do you agree that a lot of people, the act of doing that would require a little bit of bravery? Yeah, Lee, I I think I'd have to agree with you on that. And I I, I definitely would hold that sign because if anybody walked up to me and asked me why I felt that way, you know, be like, well, how much time do you have? But, you know, when I go to the gym, you know, I go to the sauna and there's, you know, you know, guys of different ages and, you know, different careers and they have certain conversations like this come across. Sometimes I'm a part of the conversation or I'm just overhearing it. But yeah, they definitely talk. I mean, 
more and more they're always talking about you know how pitiful this biden administration is and how this guy needs to get out of here but would they hold up a sign like that um maybe maybe not yeah because when it comes down to it and that's where people start to say i, I won't call it stupid stuff but not accurate stuff people say oh you're gonna get killed with that sign right now the chances of me getting shot for having an impeached biden sign in south dakota is very low of course a maniac could kill me but that's true any given day so you've got to get over that and the only way to get over it is well say i held a sign for a couple hours and a couple of people honked and i think they were on my side because they said something positive but do you understand what i'm saying rod about the way people need to overcome their fear by simply living it, playing out, doing the thing that they're afraid to do. Yeah, no, definitely, Lee. I, uh, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. And um, you know, I spoke with that with Allison uh, when we spoke earlier. You know, um, more people need to. She was talking about, and maybe you can bring it up with her. But she was talking about we need our own uh, yellow votes movement here in America, where people could signify, oh, you know, oh, you have a yellow vest, and this is what you. Uh, this is what you're talking about. This is what you're fighting for. This is what you're standing up for. So it's something to signify, uh, you know, where you don't have to organize in mass, but at the same time, individually, you could say, oh, this is what this person stands for. Yeah, no, I agree with that, too. And I will talk to Allison about it. But let's go to calls. 202-521-1320. Ingrid from D.C., you're on the backstory. Well, thanks, Lee. Um, just... As a person who's held up many signs, I want to tell you it can be a lot easier holding up a sign in front of strangers than in your own neighborhood. <laughs> but um, this this weekend, Saturday, is the day that the people in London are going to circle the parliament. And what I meant by not necessarily being in favor of all rushing to one place, not everybody has either the time or the money, or maybe they don't have either to go off someplace, but if you could have um, two people, the second one could just be an accomplice who would take a picture of you wherever you are holding up a sign saying, journalism is not a crime, free Assange. We could not only circle parliament, we could circle the world with this, put it on Twitter, put it on Facebook, put it wherever you want to put it. But you can connect with people virtually nowadays, which is one of the reasons I am optimistic about the future. God help us. Yeah, and I'll, t I'll, I'll, I'll echo that and also say one thing you can do is just look on social media. And if you see a bunch of people doing the same, dressing the same way or holding up the same simple sign and using hashtag, don't get creative. Just go along with that. Do what they're doing on your own. But... I I really hope everyone gets very active about Assange. And Ingrid, talk about a little more what's going on on the 8th. Well, this started in, in London with uh, the people there, as I say, circling the parliament. And then it got taken up by people around the world. Here in, in Washington, D.C., we're going to have a big event in front of the Department of Justice. And now there are over 20 speakers, uh, Scott Ritter, 
Chris Hedges, Garland Nixon. I can't remember everybody. So that's what's going to go on here. And we've been having a few events, but we'd like to continue, but do it in Virginia because that is where the possible jury pool is. People are switching back and forth on their opinions. Will he be extradited or not? We have no way of knowing. He might be extradited quickly or he might never come here, but we would like to spread the word because it's kind of sad how little people know about Assange. I think most Democrats have a negative connotation. They just associate WikiLeaks with Hillary's emails. They forget about 2007, his collateral murder tape of shooting journalists from a helicopter, from an Apache helicopter in Iraq. This was my first awareness of what WikiLeaks was and what it could mean for the anti-war movement. Although, do you think that, I, I, I gotta say, unless you're Hillary's relative or something, I don't understand, really, I do, but I don't completely understand. Democrats should have taken what Assange exposed, that Hillary had taken over secretly the Democratic Party, and she had gamed the system against Bernie Sanders. I think every Democrat should be opposed to that, because you can't be in favor of a system, especially if you're a Democrat, that games the system. What do you think, Ingrid? I think some people might agree with you, but I, I, I know a lot of Democrats who just uh, thought Bar Bernie Sanders was too far out there, and so maybe they thought it was a good thing that he, his nomination was suppressed. Plus, there were just raging hordes of women who wanted Hillary no matter what. So I, I don't know. My, my sampling is probably insignificant, but that's, that's what I think about the Democrats. Now, I'm interested. The people who thought Bernie Sanders was way out there, he was too left? Is that what they thought? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that, I think, tells you a lot about the nature of contemporary Democrats, right? That that's a criticism. Well, the particular person in my sample happens to be someone who identifies with unions and is quite on the left, but he, she, he, she just thought he was impractical. He couldn't win the major election, and therefore he wasn't good for the party. Yeah, well, well, you know, but Hillary, you know, I won't go off because I think you agree, but I agree a lot of people would not agree and to their shame. And I think they actually need to be, they need to reconsider being in politics because if you're in favor of a corrupt party, most Republicans I know, I mean, Rod, if it had turned out Donald Trump had secretly taken over the Republican Party. Would you oppose that on principle? Because I would. Not for sure. You know, I'm not a, you know, a, a super Trumper. You know, I, I supported him. I wanted him to do the things that uh, the, people, the people wanted him to do. You know, uh, you know, at the, and at the end, he, he couldn't even do the, uh, 
the the least, which or not the, the least in the sense of it, well, at least you could do this, which was pardoned Julian Assange or Edward Snowden, Ross Ulbrich or people like that. But no, he pardoned some rappers uh, who were in prison. So yeah, but no, definitely, I would uh, I would be opposed to that. No, but uh, let's go to calls two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. Sue, you're on the air. Hi, hi. I, uh... We're talking about Assange, and I will definitely be down in front of the Justice Department tomorrow with uh, others. Um, but there's a very important aspect of this which has not been reflected uh, enough. There was a young man named Seth Rich who worked for the Democratic National Committee in Information Technology, the IT department there. And Seth Rich gave, a, um, and this is testimony or a report by a British ambassador by the name of Craig Murray. Craig Murray was a friend of Julian Assange. And Craig Murray, and this has written, been written up in Consortium News and other places, Craig Murray um, said that he got a thumb drive of information. Of, Seth Rich was a Bernie Sanders supporter working within the Democratic National Committee, and he was apparently um, uh, pissed off over the uh, the shafting of Bernie by the Clinton by the Clinton forces, the Hillary Clinton forces, and so he put information on a thumb drive about the shafting of Bernie, um, and he and he gave that thumb drive to Craig Murray, and Craig Murray has testified to this. Craig Murray is a British diplomat who has been ambassador to Uzbekistan and other places, and uh, Craig Murray said that he gave the information directly to Julian Assange, the way any information would be given to any journalist, you know, uh, this time instead of in a brown package on a thumb drive. And that's how the information, and of course the Hillary people, also, or the, the Democrats all said, Russia did it, Russia did it. But Russia didn't do it, Seth, Seth Rich did it, according to this British diplomat, Craig Murray, who said he himself gave the information to to Seth, to um, to Assange. Well, uh, let me let me say one thing, Sue. Uh, in my opinion, one problem a lot of people have with this is they think there's one leak. There's not. There was not one tranche of information. There was at least three separate things, and I don't think all the information came from Seth Rich, if any. The information that Seth Rich would have had access to does not cover everything. So he may have given material about the NGP van uh, voting system that he would have had access to. But I'm not sure what what they call the hack. And I definitely don't think it was Russia. But there right. was some material that was... So I, I just wanted to clear that up. Yeah, but, yeah, but the, the point is, of course, I'm sure there were other sources, too. But the point is, and, and everybody should know, that Seth Rich was murdered on the streets of Washington, D.C. at 4 a.m. during this period of time we're talking about, prior to the 2016 election. 
and the police, D.C. police said that it was a botched robbery, but his watch was not taken, his wallet was not taken. But his, but his watch showed evidence. Uh, he, he was, in fact, robbed. And don't forget, Seth Rich was alive when he went to the hospital, and he did not say anything like, an assassination took me out. He said nothing to indicate that. So I just want to be clear, because there's been a lot of misreporting, and Seth Rich was alive when he went to the hospital. So oh, I didn't know that. That's good to know. But uh, but this is Craig Mary's uh, what Craig Mary had to say, and it has been reported elsewhere too. And Thank I think you. I think Murray may have gone. Uh, you know, I'd like to interview Craig about that. And I talked to people who talked to Craig about that. But uh, I do think that a lot of the material gets, it's like a game of telephone, where people hear something, then they hear something else. Rod, what is your opinion on the Seth Rich thing at this point? You've had a lot of time to look at it. Surely you have an opinion. Yeah, um, my opinion on the Cespedes, I think, you know, I agree with you that he might have been a piece of the league. And, you know, it'd be impossible for him to have everything. He was a young guy. He was only working on certain aspects with the DNC. So, you know, I I do believe he probably leaked some of uh, the the info that was on on WikiLeaks. Um, But the whole Seth Rich thing, um, I don't know, Lee. uh, You know, uh, uh, Gateway Gateway Pundit was reporting just a couple days ago. That on the 29th, a uh, district judge had uh, ordered the FBI to release everything they have on uh, Seth Rich. So, you know, uh, if it was just a simple robbery, why won't the FBI just release what they have on him and, you know, just uh, let it be done and over with? And at the same time, this is just me and my suspicions. Um, uh, Kathy Lanier, who was the uh, chief of police in D.C. at that time when Seth Rich died, I, I believe within less than a month, she would, she got uh, she failed upwards, and she became the chief of security for the NFL. And as as you as you see with Amazon and how they're doing these commercials, Lee, uh, the NFL is very um, shadowy now as far as the, the connections. Uh, one of them would be Pfizer. They have Pfizer commercials all the time now. So, uh, so yeah. Well, and there's one more thing that must be uh, noted here is that the, the Julian Assange knew the name of Seth Rich. And he said at one point that he hoped Seth Rich would be okay. He never said he's the one who gave it to Craig Murray, who gave it to, to me, this particular piece of information. But Julian Assange was aware of the name and, and what happened to Seth Rich. Now, what do you say, take judgment? So, because I actually think Julian Assange saying the name makes it less likely. Assange has never revealed a source. So why would he reveal the name Seth Rich? He didn't reveal the source. That? He just was aware. Of the na- he was aware that somebody named but, Seth Rich had been attacked. But I'm saying he's, he'd never revealed the name of a source. Assange kept his sources very quiet. So him using the name Seth Rich indicates to me that Seth Rich was not Assange's source. Does that make sense? Not particularly. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say he was his source, but somewhere he was in Holland when he said it, and that was uh, affirmed the other day by um, 
by somebody knowledgeable about this, that he was in Holland, and he just said he hoped Seth Rich would be okay. Just the fact that he knew the name uh, Seth Rich, he never said it was his source, was, was, was you know, a part of the story. Well, well, a lot of people knew Seth Rich's name. In fact, uh, I, I talked about it at the DNC in Philly, where I saw a Democrat actress, a Santa supporter, bring up Seth Rich. And this is before I heard almost anybody talk about it. So a lot of people have heard his name. But I'm just saying, the fact that Assange mentioned Seth Rich does not indicate to me that Seth Rich was Assange's source. In fact, if anything, it indicates that he's not, because Assange is very careful not to reveal the source's name. That's, mm-hmm. that's the point I'm making. Well, I think it would be wonderful if you would interview Craig Murray about this and other things. He, he writes a lot for Consortium News and, and other things that I read. Rod, have we tried to get Craig Murray on? Um, ever since he's come out of prison, um, no. But before that, I, I believe I tried a couple, like a couple of weeks before he was supposed to go into prison. But I, I wouldn't hurt to try again, you know. Yeah, wouldn't hurt to try again. Yeah, I agree with that. And might be time to revisit some of these things. I was talking about it the other day. I did the podcast of George Eliasson, and I was going over the Russia Gate stuff again, and I realized. I really need to do that on this show again. Go over the players in my view of Russiagate because they don't get talked about. You know, people like Cody Shearer or Derek Shearer or Brett Kimberlin, etc. Do you think we're due for that kind of thing, Rod, going over this story again? Oh. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, I don't know if you ever saw and I don't know if a lot of people ever saw. And this goes along kind of with Russia Gate, but they did a reenactment. Uh, this is when you the YouTube algorithm wasn't as bad as it is now. Maybe in, I think 2016, I saw it. A reenactment of when Hillary Clinton was questioned by the FBI and uh, Cheryl Mills was there. Her lawyer was there. And um, uh, also Huma Abedin was in was in a part of this questioning, which is also rare. You know, if you. You know, if they're going to question you, Lee, you know, Danny can't be in there while you're being questioned by the FBI, you know, so um, especially if she's your lawyer. But uh, they did a reenactment of it. And uh, I don't, it wasn't partisan or anything, but just to see, uh, you know, what she went through. And so I definitely think um, going over Russiagate again and, you know, maybe even some people making some type of reenactments would uh, also help to uh, bring people attention to it. OK, let's take a short break because Allison Hayden is on the phone. And when we come back, we'll talk to Allison. Let's go to the double break here, please, Man Central. Let's take a short break on the backstory. Backstory and on the radio in Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now, great friend of the show, political activist and politician, Allison Hayden. Hey, Allison, how you doing? Great. How you doing, Lee? 
I'm okay. So let me ask you. I saw. I appreciate it. You know, great to have you on again. So I saw uh, indications that in California, people are seeing gas prices upwards of $7 a gallon someplace. Is that true in your neck of the woods, Alameda County? Are you seeing $7 a gallon gas? Well, I I filled up my tank at Costco at $6.49. The cheap stuff. So that's Costco that takes um, off 20% or so. Uh, others, I have, I have seen it reported that they paid more than 7 Now, that's much higher than even some parts of the country. So this is a sad question. What happened to raise gas prices in California recently? Well, California is trying to lead the way to uh, complete destruction. Uh, we don't have a leader that is here for the people. I mean, where where we have uh, an opportunity, we have gas under our own feet, natural gas. Um, you know, Gavin Newsom is not is joined the the woke community. We're going to turn green overnight, and we're going to be able to rely on alternative energies um, within their time. They're going to decide rather than the science. So. Californians are really at the mercy of a, a really an emergency order where the uh, legislature is no more. It just bows to everything the executive, Gavin Newsom, the governor, is decided for Californians. And, and basically, they're going to crush the middle class in California by, by kowtowing to this uh, Biden regime shutting down of our of all of our gas lines and using our own capacity here in America, which we were basically energy independent when Trump was here. It was a dollar eighty nine, and now we're looking north of seven dollars. So this uh, this is actually uh, I have to think it's not stupidity; it's by design to take America down as a world power. And California is the first place to go. Unfortunately, that's just the state of affairs in America, in California. And it seems like the gas pr- price increases are just starting because of the move the Saudis made yesterday, cutting production by 2 million barrels. I think you'll see possibly 8 bucks a gallon or more by Election Day. Do you agree, Allison? Yes, that's what we've heard. You know, I don't think that they can. They've, they've. I think trying to artificially lower it just to get whatever votes they might be able to get, but I don't know that that's going to be possible. And people, you know, I hope that they will put together that what they're paying at the gas line is exactly equated with their blue vote. And voting Democrat is voting for a depression. My hashtag on Twitter is vote Democrat for depression because that's exactly where they're sending us. And it's, they don't care even about their own Democrats. They don't care about anyone. This is a, this is a globalist, um, last ditch effort basically to take down California, which will really take down America. So, this has to be a, a moment of awakening for a 
Americans. They have to look at what's behind this, and they have to take it to the ballot box. And that means not vote by mail. Get off our bus and get down to the polls on voter on election day. Vote on paper, in person, on election day. And that will overwhelm their ability to cheat. But we know that they will pull out all the stops and cheat in 2022 because we will pass the House with America First candidates if we had a real vote. So this is really incumbent on this is not party. This is not a vote for the party, the uniparty. And that includes the Republican Party leadership in California. And many of the party committees have been co-opted by this strategy of Democrats to control the conservative vote in California. And that's why we haven't won victories all these 50, 60 years. This has been a very successful strategy, but I think we're, we're getting hit to it. People are aware. The point is they have to just take two day, two hours, take their lunch hour, go down and vote in person, whatever it takes to vote in person on election day and take back our state, take back our country. Now, I've also said that I think things are getting better. I'm seeing, for instance, overall, I like the current round of candidates. The new people who are running for office, they don't seem like the old kind of Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham Republicans. They seem like the new breed of Tea Party Republicans. Are you saying the same thing, Allison? Well, we do. We do have um, that. There are a number, but I can't say there are enough because really, to get the backing, to get financial support, you have to uh, pretty much toe the party line, and that's where they get you is in their support. I mean, I I, I endured a public public unendorsement for an endorsement I, I rejected. I did not speak. In fact, I was, was um, very open about not wanting the endorsement of the California Republican Party, which comes with making top two. And I said, no, I don't want it because I want to reach out to everyone, to all parties. This is not the time to build political party um, favoritism. This is the party, the unit party has put us in this pickle and, and why Congress is so ineffective because we're being controlled by the technocrats, by the globalists, and we just, and the Chinese Communist Party. We're seeing with Connick, the CEO of Connick, being arrested in uh, by Gascon. Uh, actually, he was arrested in Michigan. But um, this guy, and if you go to Kanakoa the Great on Telegram or Kanakoa.substack.com, you'll get the full story on um, this man is a Communist Party person. He His allegiance is to the Chinese Communist Party. And our data poll worker, I was a poll worker twice, so that would mean that my poll worker information is being held in China on their, on their um, 
databases there, which we all know is should not be. So we have a, you know, there's a problem in Houston <laughs> and we need to take control of our elections. We need to stop the machines for 2022 across the nation, across California, certainly in Alameda County. And we need to uh, take back the vote, the sovereign vote of the people, let our voices be heard, let no manipulations, no software, um, uh, what they say, soft uh, Chinese uh, software made with Chinese features. (laughs) So, so, you know, these are the Chinese um, communists, not Chinese, but Chinese communists. Let's be very clear. I am not anti-Chinese. I grew up in Taiwan. I love everything Chinese. It's a wonderful culture, deep, rich, that's been hijacked by the Communist Party. I am only against the Communist Party of China and what they are doing to become world-dominant communism worldwide. And they'll eat the globalists up, too, the technocrats who think that they have an alliance with them. But they don't know the the cruelty and, and the, the, you know, the, the greed and the power hungriness of, you know, Zhongguo itself. The, the name Zhongguo means central kingdom. They intend to be, and you can see their aggressive posture around the world to take over the world. We're talking about Central America, South America. Look at them in Africa through debt diplomacy, their stealth operation, taking over Congress, taking over their, their researchers, academia in America, the, the CRT, um, the trans movement, the financing of BLM. We are seeing their fingers all over, their tentacles everywhere to take this country down. And most recently, with Eugene Yu, the CEO of Connect. So uh, its origins are in China. It was formed in China in 2005. If you go to, uh, I'll spell it for you, uh, Kanekoa, that's K-A-N-E-K-O-A dot substack.com, you'll see his full report he's been investigating. Um, so we have patriots that are on the ball and are exposing all of this. What do we do? We rise up as citizens. We vote in person on that day with a paper ballot. Take your vote-by-mail ballot torn, and you bring it and surrender it and you to your vote, voting center, and you vote on paper that day. And that's, uh, you really should be able to feed that ballot into the um, machine that, that day. But we have to stop... Um, altogether, the counting of the ballots by machine. Those just tabulate, there's a difference. So the machines, um, we need to be counting. You know, in California, we have so many precincts that they have um, really put together. In Alameda County, I think we had uh, 359 around that number. And they have consolidated it to about 100 voting centers. So if we were operating our vote um, through the precinct, which are much smaller, we can count those paper ballots and render a result and, you know, have the counting of the ballot in person, hand counted, 
and with observers from all parties, not not just uh, Repub- uh, Democrats. Even the poll, they've discovered that the poll workers, there is a an organization that uh, of only 58 people, they're Chinese, they're all Chinese, that are operating and deciding who are the poll workers in in all in our county across California. So we at so many levels we see the hands of the Communist Party and we need to at the precinct level, at the county level, take back our elections. And that uh in my mind the best thing to do is to mount a an offensive, we, we confront our registrar and our boards of supervisors who approved all of this, um, machines and everything, and we demand paper ballots in person, hand counted, the day of the election. And we can take our country back, take our elections back, take the sovereignty of the voice of the people. This is what makes us a republic. Without it, all of this voting is a charade. We need to stop the game, and we need to take our elections back. And this is our opportunity. All this evidence is being exposed that people claim we didn't have evidence. We have clear, we have a plethora of evidence. True the Vote has done the reporting that Kanakeo the Great, he is, um, has also been following True the Vote. So there's a group of patriots that have exposed all of this fraud, and uh, it's time for the American people to rise up together. We don't care what party you are. We want the voice of the people to be heard this election. And, you know, whatever it be, if it's a voting in person, paper ballots counted by people, you know, a consortium of observers of every political stripe, we'll have confidence in our vote and that our voice is heard, and that people we send um, to Washington or to every seat down ballot will be the voice of the people. And that's what this is about. So I encourage every American to to rise up and to stand for it. Uh, use the power that's been given to us at, in our republic, our vote. Thank no, you. I agree. I agree with that completely. Now, uh, one thing you said that I disagree with in a sense, I think people need to focus more on the U.S. and less on, I'm not worried about China or any other country in particular. The things that you described about China, uh, saying that they want power around the world, I see the U.S. as a big problem with that. What do you think about that, Allison? Yes, I, oh, I absolutely. Well, don't you see if they, the first fight is America and which is the first fight in America? They've already stealthed over many legislative seats across the country. They're financing those, um, they and the tech industry, okay? But the first fight, when you really know that China's in control would be to take California, right? That's why I mention it in that, in those terms. Um, California, because most Americans don't recognize um, who, you know, which which Chinese are patriotic American Chinese, right? Americans, the American does not have a racial stripe or a religious stripe. 
the idea of America is about freedom of the of every individual's right to pursue their own destiny. And government's role is to provide that equal opportunity. That's what the role of government is. Instead, we have an encroaching government over our thought life in taking over control of education, the media, which is basically, I mean, why New South Woods like yours are so valuable and critical in this hour because we can't hear about what is real. So this, all this is really financed by much of it, the Chinese Communist Party. That's why, that, it's not that we care about them and what they're doing worldwide. I brought up what they're doing in other countries as, as evidencing that they are aggressive in pursuing their national objective, their part, political party objective, of which America is a big part. If you can take off America and show yourself to be a victor, You've won the war, you know, the the psychological war. So that's where I I agree with you, what you're saying. I'm speaking only in terms of why have they chosen America? Because they have to supplant America as the party, as the the country, the political um, control of the world, the Communist Party having the major influence in the world. That's why it's so important to them to take down America in 2022. And if we don't take 2022, 2024 will be in jeopardy because what they have, what they will continue to do for the next Congress for the next two years will have a lot to say about what happens in 2024. We can't ignore this election. This election is a setup for our ultimate victory in 2024, hopefully to put Trump back in. And Trump has to come back in because there is no other candidate who is prepared, ready, and been at this war. Trump has hugged the flag and come out at personal peril of his family, his business, his everything. He's given a, here he is a wealthy man, didn't need to do this. And Now, what would you think if Ron DeSantis emerged as the candidate? Well, um, I don't think necessarily he's ready for national office. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, he wouldn't be the, you know, a a challenger in 2028 or be, be the, you know, the, yeah, um, and I, I assume and, if it came down to DeSantis, Biden, that's no choice at all, obviously, right? Obviously. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, yeah, there is no way. I don't think Biden will run. I don't think he'll, you know, physically make it for another two years. I'd be very surprised. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the trajectory for Democrats, they are not the old Democrat Party. It is not, they already have redefined themselves as Democrat socialist, but even in their, their objective, so this is not socialism. This is uh, 
They are in a death march to America as we know it. So this is going to be a very clear choice for Americans that love America. Now, dipping back into China for a quick second, you have a congressman up there, Eric Swalwell, a Democratic congressman from Northern California. And he was involved with a woman, his paramour, I believe, a woman named Fang Fang. And that story dropped off the, if, if it was ever in the press, it dropped off very quickly. Is there any new, is anyone looking into Eric Swalwell and this woman named Fang Fang, as far as you know, Allison, is anyone investigating? I don't know that anyone's investigating Fang Fang. I don't know that what she did, what that relationship did, was to compromise. And he is sitting on key committees to this day as a result. He is on the and are doing nothing. They're pursuing an open border policy. He's on the Judicial Committee. The DOJ and all these investigations, um, he is also not doing anything to advance those investigations in in a judicial way in terms of the raid on Mar-a-Lago or anything. In fact, he's gone out on the circuit. I heard him personally uh, in California in uh, Alameda, saying that, you know, those to those who say, uh, you know, how can this happen to the president of the United States? I say, why not? So just like he said in the past, will the government will has the nukes, you know, against anyone who was against uh, taking away guns. He's now also gone against uh the rights that the Constitution bestows. So uh, Swalwell is a sellout, and he is completely, even though he touts his his family's uh, law enforcement um, involvement in the sheriff's department, he is not anything about America. He is completely sold out. And uh, people who continue to vote Democrat or just because He's, uh, you know, uh, a local man-made congressman. You know, they're still, still kind of have stars in their eyes to know somebody. You know, oh, I've spoken with people who say, well, I know him, uh, so I'm going to vote for him. Well, this is not, he's a nice guy or whatever. This is not a personality conflict, um, you know, contest here. This is about the future of America. And he has come out in favor of taking our guns, taking our voice, extending entitlements. He has settled 150,000 Afghanis in Alameda, into Alameda County. They are given full Section 8 housing. That means taxpayer-paid housing with full, brand-new appliances. Their kids, full medical, okay? Their kids... Uh, in our schools, pay, being paid. Now, those kids, it's not just a linguistic difference. Many of those kids have never been to school. Do you think that's impacting our ability to keep our, our performance up in, in California schools? This guy is completely, um, you know, 
he has not done anything for Americans. He's more concerned about other countries than his own. So we, you know, we have to vote for people who are voting for America to succeed. American dreamers. We are not in the business of taking care of the world's dreamers before our own. We have the most relaxed immigration policy of the, almost in the world. It's easiest to get into. It takes a while. But you are, we take in asylees. We have a process. So for him to, to jump these processes and, and settle people here is just, you know, and at our taxpayer dime, when the national, in, the income of many people has dropped, many people have lost their businesses through the pandemic, and these gas prices are going to demolish the middle class. And, you know, he cares not for Americans. He's too busy trying to favor, really, these are, pro, these are pro-Chinese and Pakistani people, too. So we have, you know, these are our allies of the Communist Party, many of them. So we need to watch our congressional staff and see who are they working for, what kinds of policies are they advancing. America... No, did- do you think a situation with Hunter and Joe Biden shows that I'm, I'm not really disagreeing with you. I'm agreeing in a sort of side way. Uh, uh-huh. They don't. I, I'm saying I don't think they think about other countries or people in other countries. They think about using other countries as Hunter Biden did as a piggy bank. It works out very badly often for the people in those countries, but they like using the money they can get from those countries. Do you see what I'm saying, Allison? I, I, I witnessed that firsthand. I was in Bulgaria in the Peace Corps, and they had a, a $2 million grant, and this was way back in the 90s, okay? Um, they had uh, like a, a $2 million grant that came to Bulgaria and just disappeared, okay, from... It was from USAID, so um, and Department of Agriculture. So I mean, this stuff, this kind of graft and going in—you're uh, right. It's going places, and you know, we need to follow the money with, and do audits on our own representatives, and we need to make that a regular part of and their family and foundations that they're associated with, because the, you know they get into government and. And this is true even at the local level. And they stay there forever. And they are given over the keys of the kingdom to vote in um, laws about elections and such. You don't see many of these people coming out in favor of election integrity and cleaning and, you know, demanding forensic audits of the registrars. None of these uh, elected officials do that, even out of both stripes, okay? So I'm I'm really of the mind we have to we're at a place we have to go back and protect the republic the fundamental um, precepts of what makes us a republic and why do people come to this country and it's- also we're out of time we need to wrap unfortunately but great appearance as usual Allison tell people where they can find your website in a couple seconds 
Okay, it's allisonforcongress.com. That's spelled A-L-I-S-O-N, the digit for congress.com. Thanks a lot, Allison Hayden, and thanks so much to Sonia Vanden and for her great appearance and for all the calls. We'll see you tomorrow on The Backstory.